Welcome to Fast Facts. I'm Jody. I'm Shelly. We're a new media concept, a co-working space in the design district called The Slate. The most amazing people have walked through these doors. Authors. Entrepreneurs. Community leaders. Dallas natives. And guests from near and far. We're going to bring them in this room and we're going to sit them down and we're going to ask them the questions you are asking too. These will be quick so you can listen on your drive in or your drive home. We are completely off the cuff, but that is the best part about Fast Facts. And the only person you can really be off the cuff with might just be your sister. Truth. Let's see who's slating it. Shelly, we're talking about telemedicine. I'm so pumped. With Virginia Alverson Mamak, a partner at Jackson Walker, a friend of mine from law school and a great lawyer. So here's the thing. I am so interested in this because literally yesterday, Virginia, we had a, a major, major hospital system in here. And she said their business is up 1,000% and 75% of what they're doing is virtual. It's telemedicine. And then no joke. Fast forward 24 hours, another major, major hospital group came in to video some things, and they were explaining they feel like telemedicine is actually encouraging their doctors to listen even more to their patients because they can't touch them and see them in the same way. And so care is getting better. Are you stunned by what I'm saying, or is this just the life you lead? I am not stunned. I think telemedicine is really having its moment right now. Uh, Some of us have been huge proponents of it for years, and I think uh, a silver lining to the pandemic has been that a lot of people have begun to see its uses. Tell us what those are. Well, first of all, all all the obvious things. You don't have to come into contact with other people. You can get the care you need without exposing yourself to germs. But also, it's always been something that a lot of us have recommended for rural communities who don't have access to a lot of specialists. It allows you to speak to specialists that may be in another state um, and get the care that you really need. Um, And then what you said, Shelly, is so true. We hear from so many of our physicians um, that do telemedicine that they do have a better conversation with their patient because they have to rely on the conversation itself. And in the case where people do what they call asynchronous telemedicine, which means they don't even have a phone call, they're doing it over email and sending images or other pictures, sometimes people are willing to even describe more about their medical condition because they're Mm. not having to tell someone to their face. They're able just to write it into a computer. So it's been an interesting turn of events that telemedicine um, actually encourages people to bear their souls. And so what are the percentage increase? What are you seeing out there? I mean, it feels like everybody's talking about this. I mean, I've even actually had to do some Zoom calls or FaceTimes with doctors of ours. Um, Are they working harder than ever, though, because the accessibility is easier? Because I can just FaceTime my doc now. Hey, pediatrician, me again. (laughs) You know, I think there was a lot of reluctance to adopt telemedicine before, primarily because it was not reimbursed very well by the insurance companies or Medicare. So if you were a doctor, even if you would have preferred to do a telemedicine visit, it was difficult for you to do that because you wouldn't get paid to do it. So now when everybody's offices got shut down by the governor's order, you know, telemedicine was suddenly the only way to see your patients. And then the insurance companies, by order of the governor, um, have started paying for those services. And so I think a lot of doctors 
um, are happy to be doing it. I think they've wanted to do it for a while. They, it just wouldn't have been profitable for their practice. I do think it allows them often to see more patients in a day than they would um, in person. Uh, but of course, I will say there are some things you just can't treat via telemedicine, right? So um, sure, yeah. Are still having to have in-office visits or follow-ups with, with patients after they talk to them via telemedicine. Do you have six? I, this may I may be asking you for what I call producer fantasy from a newsroom where they ask you to do something. You're like, I don't know. Are there any numbers to show that this does work? That because you know, while I believe they're listening and I am getting to know my doctor better, I am a little concerned. Like, is this mole good or bad? Like, can you really see it? Or is it, let me move the light. Did it, do you you know? Do you know yeah. what I'm asking? Like, is it working? Yeah, so that's the that's always been the biggest concern and the reason that so many people and so many states were reluctant to approve telemedicine is that they, the concern was, can you get the same standard of care over the phone that you could get in an office? And I think that the answer is, yes, you can. And the reason is because ultimately the doctor is being held to the same standard, right? It's mm-hmm. not like... The malpractice rules are any different for telemedicine than they are for a regular office visit. So if a doctor is not 100% certain that they're able Mm -hmm. to see everything and get all the information that they need, then they're not going to write a prescription because, you know, they could potentially get in trouble for that. They'll they'll raise the flag then. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I I think there's not specific numbers, Shelley, that I have, but I I think that the, the evidence out there is that for the most part, people are getting great care or they're getting diverted and being told this is actually pretty serious and you should probably go to an urgent care or an emergency room. Are there certain um, practice areas within medicine that are exploding in this realm more than others? Yes. So I would say urgent care is definitely exploding. That's sort of the one-off. I've got a sinus infection. Mm -hmm. I think I've got this bug bite. Can you look at it? Dermatology is huge because obviously that's something um, that can often be done. If you have a camera, you can see the skin condition. That's a problem. And then the other big space that's that's really developed and where I do a lot of work is in the direct consumer space. And that's where people will advertise for a particular ailment and say, hey, if you need to get this treated, call us and we'll get you to a specialist in this area and they'll get it treated. And that's anything from erectile dysfunction to hair loss to cold sores to skin care to allergies things that you know people may not go and make a doctor visit for or often that are not covered by insurance but they'll call one of these telemedicine companies and they often get to speak to you know a board certified doctor that's a specialist in that area wait hold up i gotta almost rewind that for a hot second because that sounds almost like too good to be true so i can call and say hey i'm struggling with and let's be honest my melasma after having children they definitely (laughs) jack up your skin so i can call and i might get a board certified dermatologist on the other line even though it's not something that really is pressing it's not a pressing issue even though you didn't actually call a doctor yeah i didn't call a doctor i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of companies right now that are specializing in that kind of care, and so what, the way it would work is you would call, um, and they would they would hook you up with an independent physician, and then you would explain the situation, and then they would prescribe the medication. And oftentimes, the way that these businesses are set up, they work with mail order pharmacies, so you can just get the you know prescription mailed to your house. 
often at a cheaper price because they have pretty good deals with these pharmacies. Mm -hmm. The the big key, though, to most of these companies is they are cash pay. So, you know, you wouldn't go to get treated for something that your insurance company would would pay for. Mm -hmm. These would be for things that you, you know, maybe are a little bit more cosmetic or something that's not considered, you know, uh, medically necessary, but that you would like to have treatment for. Amazing. And so, Virginia, just so everyone knows, too, you've spent your whole legal career in the healthcare space. And um, you are have wonderful acclaim from all of your clients. What are some things that your clients are talking about right now? Well, my in general, of course, (laughs) nothing privileged. Just Just in general, like what I mean, you're you're on the some of your clients are the ones actually providing these call-in numbers, the direct-to-consumer services, what are they saying? We've talked a lot about the patient side. Yeah, what's on their minds? Well, you know, it's interesting. My hospital clients love telemedicine because the two main reasons are being able to reach into the rural communities where they were really struggling with patient follow-up before, right? Mm -hmm. People would try three, you know, hours for their initial visit and diagnosis, but then asking that person to keep coming back every time was difficult. And so this has really allowed them to have better patient follow-up, and that has really made the hospitals happier because it it keeps readmission rates down, right? Because if we can make sure we're staying on top of our patients and what's going on, they're likely to get sick. And and then I think the second benefit um, for the hospitals is the specialist, being able to get to the right specialist for the patient, right? Because that specialist might not be in your city. They might be in Mm -hmm. a different city. Mm -hmm. And so I think those are the two things that the providers really enjoy. So rewind to, I'm interested in this, you know, you you have a problem, you don't follow up, and so then the problem gets worse. And again, here I go with producer fantasy, but I am curious. I mean, do you think this is going to help bring down insurance like, I feel like a lot of people just are billing, but if I am actually following through and I don't end up getting the major ailment that could cost a lot of money and then I have to file to my insurance provider, is the thought in general, I know this is not your specific expertise, do you think the thought is in general that this could help with insurance rates in the future? Absolutely. So care coordination is a huge trend in healthcare and quite frankly has been for the past five years. The idea being that the way we're going to keep healthcare costs down is to better coordinate the care with a patient, making mm-hmm. sure that they don't get du- you know duplicative tests, that they don't um, have the same conversation with four different doctors. And initially, the concept was what they called a medical home. You know, you would get your medical home, your primary care doctor, and they would coordinate all your care. They would send you to the orthopedist, but then get the report back and talk to you about it. They would send you to the pulmonologist, but then talk to you about it. And it, it's one of those ideas that sounds great in practice. I mean, in, in theory, but it's harder in practice um, because it really was overloading the primary care doctors, mm-hmm. especially a lot of the follow-up. And telemedicine and telemonitoring, which is, you know, monitoring patients remotely in their home using technology, those two things have really taken a lot of burden off the primary care doctors and made coordinated care a lot easier. And so it's that coordinated care and the and the reduction of tests and admissions to the hospital that's going to bring down the insurance cost. Fascinating. Can we talk about mental health services versus telemedicine? What can you tell us about those? There's a lot of mental health providers that are providing services through telemedicine. And actually, it's it's another one of the specialties that is oh, okay. mm-hmm. particularly 
um, well suited to do telemedicine, right? Because generally mental health involves a conversation with your doctor anyway. Um, There's a lot of different offerings out there. Um, There are hospitals who have taken their mental health services um, and put them on a telemedicine platform. There are direct-to-consumer companies out there. I'm sure you've heard some of them advertise where they will hook you up with a therapist that you can talk to via, you know, text or email or phone. I mean, they're really trying to make the person accessible to you when you need them. Hmm. Uh, and so I think mental health has been a, a place where you've seen a lot of growth in the, in the telemedicine world. So what about infrastructure? You know, I mean, devil's advocate, if I live in where my husband's family, I mean, in little rural Missouri on an apple orchard, they do have an iPad. But what if I don't have all these computers and iPads, and I, I'm so confused. How do I upload Zoom? You know, we had to set my mom up. She was so confused. How do I get this on my phone so I can talk to my doctor? How are you getting past some of those infrastructure barriers? Yeah, that, I mean, that's a great question. And, and I think that um, the answer is that some places are able to do it better than others, depending on their funding. But as part of the CARES Act, um, there was a large stimulus package that went out to fund both nonprofit and public hospitals, specifically in connection with their telemedicine infrastructure. And the idea was this was supposed to help pay for a lot of the machines that you would send your patients home with. So an oxyometer or oh. pulsometer, things that would measure oxygen levels, pulse blood pressure, you could send your patients home with that. And those machines are smart machines that will actually report back to your doctor how you're doing. So they're, they're trying through funding to get to some of the more rural areas and help them build up their telemedicine infrastructure. And I will say, again, going to the concept of the silver lining of the pandemic, this is funding that I think was probably needed by these rural communities for a long time, but it wasn't until everyone was forced to use telemedicine that the funding came through. But the good news about infrastructure is once you have it, it doesn't go away, Mm -hmm. you know, when the pandemic goes away. So hopefully a lot of these rural communities will be able to build up their infrastructure over time. Um, but, but Shelly, to your point, I mean, if, if, if you don't have the ability to do some sort of a FaceTime or Skype call, I mean, you are going to be limited, but I think a lot of telemedicine services can be provided just over the phone. Mm-hmm. And people mm-hmm. have at least a phone. Mm-hmm. And, and so obviously it just started with a plain old phone. When did it start? Are we looking at like a 10-year-old trend? Or? Uh, it's been around for a long time, actually. You know, the very first use of telemedicine that was prevalent was radiology. The uh-huh, idea that you uh-huh. would take an image, send it over to a radiologist that could be in another country, could be in another state. Um, they did this a lot with time zones, right? You get a CT scan in the ER at 2 a.m., you need someone to review it. They would send it over to India, who's, you know, that's daytime for them. They would review it immediately and send it back. So that was... um, that was kind of the original use of telemedicine was getting things read kind of around the clock. Um, then it slowly progressed into uh, getting consultations from doctors in other states that were specialists, especially in pathology. You saw a lot of that. Um, another place it's been used for years is on ships. 
you know, these, um, wow. You are you know, so knowledgeable, Virginia. Virginia. My you goodness. Are, On ships, we're interrupting because we're just so impressed I'm just, with you. Just our jaws, just our jaws dropping. are dropping. Jeez. Okay, t- take us back to the ships. Sorry, go to the ship. No, so the ships, you know, if you're out at sea, right, and people get sick, you don't know. Right. I mean, you're right. This <laughs> never occurred to me. How are we so this naive, right. Jody? That was one of the main uses, and what they used to do on some of these commercial sh- I'm not talking about the military. The military typically has a, a physician or somebody mm-hmm. on board. But if you think about these um, more commercial shipping vessels, they would have like a little lab cart, you know, where they could do some of the lab tests and they would, they would call a doctor and the doctor would say, okay, I want you to run a strep test or I want you to run this. And they would run it. And then he would say, okay, you know, give them this antibiotic. And they would have a storage of antibiotics on the ship in case. Um, but so those were some of the early uses but it really wasn't until we had kind of the FaceTime technology that the average doctor was able to start using it with their patient. Okay. How about this? How are we going to, I mean, who governs this? I mean, here I am. I'm trying to pretend I'm the lawyer, yeah, sister, like but I'm not. super, the regulatory but, you know, question. The SEC's watching certain groups. The FCC's watching certain groups. I, I mean, I can just see it in three months. The news is going to be covered with so-and-so scam. She thought she was getting this, but she actually got that. Who is governing this so that the people who are currently plotting to cr- do a scheme, which is definitely happening, if we're being honest, right? Who governs this? Great question. And as a lawyer, now you're in my sweet spot. Woo, um, baby. Settle yeah, in, Virginia. So Tell us everything. I, what I will tell you is I, I read an article one time about telemedicine in the New York Times, I think, and it said it's an unregulated industry. And it made me laugh because I think it is one of the most regulated industry. First of all, you have each state has rules about how a physician can provide telemedicine services, what they have to do to establish the appropriate physician-patient relationship. Then on top of that, each state has its own pharmacy rules about when it is appropriate for a physician to write a prescription via telemedicine. And then if you layer on top of that the fact that there are separate rules for nurse practitioners and physician assistants and psychologists and everybody else, you realize that just sort of the telemedicine rules themselves can be pretty substantial. Um, and, and so the answer is it's really the state medical boards and the state pharmacy boards that are regulating it. At a federal level, you've got Medicare and Medicaid, who are the primary payers, and to the extent that they allow Medicare, I mean telemedicine, which they do recently during COVID, but previously telemedicine for Medicare was really, really limited to either you were at a distant site provider or you were in a rural community. Um, but now Medicare is monitoring it too, right? They're going to medi- they're going to monitor every single claim that's filed and decide whether or not it's appropriate to pay. So there's a lot of people watching over telemedicine. Um, to your question though about scams, you know, at the end of the day, it goes back to the doctor is supposed to be providing the appropriate standard of care, right? So if a patient mm-hmm. felt like they did not receive the appropriate standard of care for whatever they were being treated for the appropriate body to report that to would be their local state medical board. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, Virginia, I kind of want to just for the last two minutes, give you the floor and do <laughs> because frankly, you are so 
thoughtfully brilliant. I mean, my, I, I mean, my, this is why she's the head of the healthcare section at Jackson Walker. Jeez, I mean, Jackson Walker knows how to bring in the guns. Look at her. I know. Okay, so why don't we just give you the floor for the next minute and a half? Like, what have we not asked you that we wouldn't even necessarily know to ask you because we don't live, breathe, and eat this every day? Well, I would just say that while telemedicine is really prevalent, if any of your listeners out there are thinking about starting up a telemedicine company or in any way utilizing telemedicine or telehealth in their business, just to be aware that there are a lot of regulatory hurdles that you have to be aware of. And so just to go in with your eyes wide open and make sure you get everything set up correctly, because it it can be a great tool and, and you can do it correctly. But I think a lot of people who are rushing to market maybe are, are skipping over some of those regulatory Mm. hurdles. And so that would be as the lawyer, my advice is just make sure you really, you know, are aware. And then as a consumer, if I would say, just don't be afraid of telemedicine, right? Like if you trust your doctor, you have to trust that they're not going to treat you for something that they shouldn't just because it's over the phone. Most doctors are going to say, you know what? I actually do think you need a lab test or I need to see your blood work on this. They're not, they're not just going to willy nilly prescribe. So if your doctor has gone to telemedicine, don't be afraid to go ahead and and sign up and and see them because um, it, it can be a really great tool. So, Virginia, I just decided I need for you to come and run my life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness, you're well spoken. Oh, God bless UT Law, Virginia Alverson. I'm so glad it brought me to you. And I have always known that this was your area of expertise. And it's just incredible to hear you share all your knowledge with our members. Thank you so much for your time. Slate it. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, Virginia, in all sincerity. Wait, hold on. Shelly's stopping it. Yeah, I'm stopping it.